You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. So from uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 25. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphios. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Pallas. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elmas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Almas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. From Paphios, Paul and his companions sailed to Persia in Pamphylia, where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. From Persia, they went to Pisidion, Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the Law and Prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship the Lord, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country for about 40 years he endured their conduct in the wilderness, and he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to the people as their inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them the judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you were looking for, but there is another one coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. 
fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from a cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had travelled from him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witness to our people. We tell you good news, what God promised to our ancestors he has fulfilled for us, their children by raising up Jesus. As is written in the second psalm, You are my son today because I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God said, I will give you the holy, the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one who God drained from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you, though everyone who believes is set free from sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone had told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them about them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaps of abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they honoured the word of the Lord. For all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews leaders, the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook their dust off their feet as a warning to them and went on to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Rob. That was epic. Um, and I'm not even going to preach on all of it, so I've thrown you under the bus. Um, but it's good to have the context. Um, I'll pray, and then we'll jump in. Um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please speak to us. Transform us by your words. Use my weak efforts to make Jesus clearer to us all. Amen. Before I start, I've got to say, like, I feel like I should redo my big idea because Cam just had a perfect big idea. Salvation is a gift received, not a badge to be earned. That's just great. I wish I could run with that, but 
I'll try and weave it in maybe. Um, so I'll start with a question. What story are you listening to? What story are you listening to? We all listen to a story, don't we? Uh, here's the story I listen to. Here's a story that's sort of ringing around in my head. Stu, everyone's looking at you. The attention is on you. You need to perform. You need to meet everyone's expectations. If you don't, you're a failure. So get to work. So when I'm listening to that story, uh, my mind goes into overdrive as I think and overthink about how I can meet everyone's expectations, how I can please everybody, how can I, how I can jostle my way into everyone's good books, jostle my way into other people's approval. Uh, there's this bar of acceptability in my head uh, and I need to reach and climb and scramble to reach that bar. I need to get myself above that bar. That's the, the story that I'm listening to quite often, far too often. What's the story you listen to? I don't think you're, you're probably not that different to me. It's probably a similar story. We all have an internal bar of acceptability in our lives, don't we? Uh, it's what we measure ourselves by. Maybe it's about career progression. Maybe it's about uni success. Maybe it's about family stability. We think if I'm at a certain level in these things, I'm okay. Uh, if I'm not, my life's a mess uh, and everything's on hold until I get back above that line. It's an exhausting life, but hey, at least I'm in control and I'm doing it my way, even though the bar always seems to creep up higher and higher. There's always more badges to earn, to use Cam's language. Do you listen to that kind of story? Because that's the kind of story Paul, in his sermon, is confronting in Acts 13. There are two stories that Paul is talking about in Acts 13. There's God's story, and then there's the religious story. And the religious story is the story that we often listen to. God's story is life from death. The religious story is demand on demand. In God's story, it's up to him. In the religious story, it's up to me. Whose story are you listening to? That's the question that Paul's got for us today. So, as I said, we're not going to look at the whole chapter. We're just looking at, at, at Paul's uh, sermon in Pisidian Antioch. Uh, so I think it's from verse 13 onwards. So the context uh, is Paul and Barnabas have been sent out from Antioch, from the church there. They've been led by God's Spirit to do the work that they've been called to do. This is at the start of chapter 13. Uh, they've gone through the island of Cyprus and God's word has done his work in uh, uh, the proconsul Sergius Paulus. And now, verse 13 to 15, if you've got your Bible open, that'd be great. Verse 13 to 15, uh, they've rocked up to a synagogue at Pisidian Antioch uh, on the Sabbath. The reading of the law and the prophets has just been completed and they're invited to speak. The visitors are invited to preach. Don't worry, uh, we're not going to invite you to preach if you're new today. That's not how we roll here. Uh, but Paul uh, must have been itching for this opportunity. He'd been crafting this sermon in between his mission trips. Um, so it's not an off-the-cuff sermon for Paul. He's, he's probably put a lot of time and effort into it. 
Uh, and it's his, first, it's his first recorded sermon in the book of Acts. Uh, and this chapter, uh, Acts, Acts 13, is where Paul sort of arrives on the scene. Um, he becomes more and more prominent from this point on in Luke's, in Luke's uh, writing of Acts. So Paul, uh, in this sermon, is wanting to tell God's story and contrast it with the religious story. Uh, and it's the story that his hearers, who are uh, the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, it's a story that they need to hear. Uh, and it's the story that we need to hear as well. Uh, it's God's story of bringing life from death, victory from defeat, forgiveness in failure, freedom from sin. Uh, and that's where Paul ultimately is building to. It's verse 38 and 39, freedom from sin, forgiveness in failure. So they're the key verses. Verse 38 and 39, but we'll get there. So where does Paul start? So we'll look at the first chunk. If you've, uh, the outline's on the Darabin website. I've got three main points. Um, the first point is um, the Old Testament is a life from death story. And that's from verses 16 to 22. Paul starts uh, on common ground to those who are in the synagogue. He recaps Israel's history. And who's the main character in this history? Have a look at the verses. Who's the main character here? Verse 16 to 22. It's pretty obviously God, isn't it? Look at pretty much all the action words and see who they're attached to. They're attached to God. From verse 17 onwards, uh, God chose their ancestors. He made them prosper. He led them out of the country. He endured their conduct. He overthrew uh, the seven nations of Canaan. He gave his people their land. He gave them judges to rule for them. He gave them kings. What's Paul trying to communicate? He's communicating that throughout all history, it's been God's hand that's graciously lifted up his people. He hasn't demanded that they lift themselves up. He's graciously given them life. He's brought life from death. He showed favour to his people, not based on their merit or their earning or their badges, but purely based on his own mercy. And you see there, Paul summarises the first 450 years of Israel's history in just a couple of sentences. So look at verse 17, 17 to 20, the first chunk. Uh, he causes the nation of Israel to be born from Remember the story, Abraham and Sarah, born from a barren womb. A whole nation comes through Abraham and Sarah. Beyond uh, child-rearing age, and yet God acted life from death. What's next? Uh, God causes Israel to multiply and grow, even under the oppressive rule of Egypt. God acted life from death. What's next? God saved Israel from the oppressive rule of, of Egypt, a much more powerful nation than themselves, and yet it's his mighty power that gets them out of there. God acted. Victory from defeat, freedom from slavery, life from death. And after they're taken out of Egypt, God endures their failures, their endless failures, their endless grumbling toward him in the wilderness. 
he puts up with their mess and their sin. God acted, providing forgiveness in failure, choosing death, uh, choosing life, not death, for his people. And what's next? God led them uh, to victory over the nations in Canaan, who were much more powerful, powerful than they were. God acted, victory from defeat, life from death. And God gave them the promised land. God acted, life from death. And then in, in verse uh, 20 to 22, Paul looks, uh, talks about God raising up leaders for his failing people. First, God raises up judges to, uh, for Israel to save them amidst their constant cycles of rejecting him. And then God appoints kings to rule over them. Saul, he raises up first. He was terrible, um, which shows that it's God that saves, not kings. Uh, Then he removes Saul and then he raises up David, who's a better king after God's own heart. But God was giving his people salvation through his chosen leaders. So Paul's crafting his sermon, he's crafting an argument here. He's showing that God has always been a life from death kind of God. He's always lifted his people up and forgiven their failures and given them representatives who give his people hope. Paul's building his argument for these Jews and God-fearing Gentiles. The argument is that God's salvation has never been based on merit or or the righteousness of his people. It's only ever been on the basis of his gracious saving power. So Paul's saying, listen to me. This is the God you all know. These are the stories you're all familiar with. This is who you know God to be. This is your history. This is your story. God brings life from death. But the story isn't over. Jesus continues that story. Is this the story you're listening to? So that brings us to the second point. Jesus' story too is life from death. So Paul says, Paul's building towards Jesus. He's he's unpacked the Old Testament. Uh, Paul says that the history of Israel has continued in Jesus and has its climax in Jesus. There's more to the story that Paul wants them to know. Paul's saying that uh, what you see God doing in the Old Testament, you see even, oh, hang on. Here we are. I've turned the wrong page. Beauty. Let me collect my thoughts. Uh, yes. The history of Israel has continued in Jesus. It has its climax in Jesus. That's what Paul wants him to know. Yeah, that's where I am. Uh, so here's where Paul, it gets really intriguing for those listening to Paul. Because this is totally new to them. Uh, Paul's saying that there's actually something more to God's saving acts in history than what they know in the Old Testament. And it's verse 23. Look at verse 23. Jesus, the Saviour, comes through the line of God's chosen King David. Yet this Saviour is not saving through conquest. He's not flashing a sword. He's heralded by a really obscure man, John the Baptist. 
What kind of saving does this Saviour do? Look at verses 26 to 29. What does Paul say? What does he want us to know about Jesus? What does he want them to know about Jesus? The most important thing to know about him, he's rejected and condemned to death by his own people, executed on a cross under the judgment of Pilate, his body taken to a tomb. Jesus' saving looks like dying. And just imagine Paul preaching this. He gets to verse 29, and I can imagine him pausing at verse 29. Jesus' body is taken to a tomb. You'd hear a pin drop in the synagogue. Verse 30, but God raised Jesus from the dead. What kind of story does Paul say Jesus' story is? Firstly, he's insisting that it's a true story. Firstly, it's historically accurate. He really did die by a real ruler, Pilate, on a cross, and his resurrection was witnessed by many people who testify to that fact. Paul, however, uh, drills down on the truthfulness to his mostly Jewish audience. He says, it's true because it was anticipated and prophesied by your Jewish scriptures. His death was fulfilling scripture. It was not as though Jesus uh, was overpowered or bullied into his death. It was to fulfill the prophets, verse 27. And it was to fulfill what was written about him, verse 29. Apparently, it was a necessary death, a death uh, that Jesus had his eyes set on ahead of time. So his death fulfilled prophecy and his resurrection was fulfilling what was written in the Old Testament as well, what was written about David. That's what Paul's doing when he's quoting Psalm 2 and Isaiah 55 and Psalm 16. Uh, Those prophecies said that David would never see decay uh, and that David would receive, or God's God's chosen one would would receive decay. Uh, David's sure and holy blessings. And all that's fulfilled in Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. This death and resurrection, according to Paul, is the message of salvation. Life from death, literally. This, according to Paul, in verse 32, is good news. What God promised, he fulfilled through Jesus' resurrection. Jesus is the king after God's own heart who truly never sees decay because of his resurrection. So in the face of an apparent victory for the Jewish rulers in in Jesus' day, Jesus is put to death and yet God raised him from the dead. That's Paul's message, life from death. Paul's saying that what you see God doing in the Old Testament you see even clearer in Jesus, bringing life from death, victory from defeat. God lifts up his son from the grave to new life. And Paul's saying, this is the story you need to listen to. And that's what he asks. Uh, And my final point, my third point for the sermon is, is your story life from death? Because that's the question that Paul asks. Is your story life from death? 
Paul gets to the climax of his sermon in verses 38 to 39. And this is the most important point he's trying to make. He gets personal. He gets to the application bit of his sermon. What he most wants his hearers to know is that this crucified and risen Jesus is the way to full and complete forgiveness. Freedom from every sin, verses 38 and 39. Forgiveness, freedom from every sin. Paul lays it out as clearly as possible for his hearers, the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he's laying it out as clear as possible for us as well. This is what is at the heart of God's story. His son crucified and risen, us forgiven and accepted, set free from sin. God in Christ, graciously bringing life from death in us. This is a confronting message uh, for those who are listening to Paul. Because who Paul was preaching to were not irreligious and immoral people, but they were deeply religious and deeply moral people. It's a confronting message. It's offensive. What's Paul's message to outwardly moral and religious people? 38 and 39, verse 38 and 39. You need God's forgiveness. Your goodness will not earn that forgiveness. Your behaviour doesn't make you more forgivable. It actually uh, makes you in more need of it. Paul wants them to listen to God's story. He wants them to know God's life from death story as their story. Forgiveness, freedom from sin. No other story in the world offers what Jesus' story offers. No one else shows uh, grace to us like God shows us in Christ. No other story offers us this forgiveness. Paul's saying that there's a proclamation to believe, a story to believe. It's the Jesus story. The story of the cross, where all our mess and sin gets laid on him and all his goodness and righteousness is transferred to us. Total forgiveness, totally by his grace. Life from death. The religious story doesn't offer us this. And that's what the end of verse 39 is about, isn't it? That's the point that Paul's making. Christ gives a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. God's been telling the same story all along, the story of salvation by grace and not by earning, not by the law of Moses. What was this law of Moses that the Jews were following? What was this story that the Jews were listening to? It's the religious story. Being justified or, you know, another way of saying that is having a right and acceptable relationship with God, being justified by the law of Moses through uh, earning your badges, obedience. I get myself above the line of God's acceptance through my obedience. The hero of the story is me. And that's the same story that we listen to. The story of our performance and our potential. 
where we bring our doing in, ex- in exchange for God's acceptance of us. But Jesus offers us something fundamentally different to religion. He's not even offering us another religion. I read a quote yesterday in a little book. I left the book in the car, which is great. Um, the book's by Dane Ortland. It's about uh, how Jesus' grace is surprising. And this quote just really stood out to me when, when I read it yesterday. He says that Christianity is unreligion. Unreligion, that's what he says. It turns all our religious instincts on their head. For example, the ancient Greeks told us to be moderate by knowing, knowing our inclinations. The Romans told us to be strong by ordering our lives. Buddhism tells us to be disillusioned by annihilating our consciences. Hinduism tells us to be absorbed by merging our souls. Islam tells us to be submissive by subjecting our wills. Agnosticism tells us to be at peace by ignoring our our doubts. Moralism tells us to be good by discharging our obligations. And I could add one. Secularism tells us to be our true selves by following and never questioning our hearts. But look at verse 39. As I continue uh, Dane Ortland's quote, look at verse 39. Only the gospel tells us to be free by acknowledging our failure. Christianity is the unreligion because it is the one faith whose founder tells us not to bring our doing but our need. In the story of religion, what kind of person do you need to be? You need to be strong. Never show weakness. You need to be put together. You need to have the right answers. You need to learn how to be a winner. Climb the mountain. Climb the career ladder. Achieve. Earn. Be moral. Do good things. Lift yourself up. God, or whatever your version of God is, will then applaud you and accept you. That's the kind of person you need to be in the religious story. In God's life from the dead story, what kind of person do you need to be? A relief for us all. A failure. You need to be someone who needs to be forgiven. Someone who knows their need. How do you respond to God's Life from the death, life from death story. Are you surprised to hear that this is Christianity? Are you intrigued or are you bored? You've heard it all before. How did Paul's hearers respond? Well, you look at verse forty-two onwards. And keep in mind, his his hearers hadn't heard a message like this before. His listeners hadn't heard anything like this before. That forgiveness, freedom, justification is found in Christ and not in religious obedience. It's based on grace. In verse 43, some people are intrigued. How do Paul and Barnabas encourage those who are intrigued? What do 
Paul and Barnabas urged them to do. It's in the verse, verse 43. What's it say? Continue in the grace of God. If you're intrigued, continue in the grace of God. In other words, keep tugging at the thread of God's story. Keep looking for God's graciousness. Allow yourself to listen to the the story God's telling. Keep listening to this story of grace. It's not a story of religion. Continue in the grace of God. Don't continue in religious adherence to earn God's favour. Continue in his grace. If you want to figure out God's story, you need to figure out Jesus. You need to figure out what Jesus is doing on a cross and what he's doing as a raised man after he's been crucified. So that's the people in verse 43. They're intrigued. That's what Paul and Barnabas encouraged them to do. Continue in the grace of God. And that's the encouragement for anyone here today who might be intrigued by God's story. You might have had assumptions about God that he's demanding. He's going to come down with a hammer when he sees you disobey. He's barking out orders from on high. How does Jesus, how does the Jesus story change this for you? Keep pulling on the thread of God's grace and see where it leads you. That's the people in verse 43. For some of the Jews in verses 44 to 45, it was just all too much. Uh, Paul and Barnabas were attracting a crowd uh, more than them, so they confused the message. So Paul and Barnabas turned to the Gentiles, and in verse 48, amazingly, (laughs) they believed the word. They believed the word. They believed the story of God and are brought into life. And we keep reading to the end of the passage, verse 50 to 52. We see what kind of people God's story creates, don't we? Look at Paul and Barnabas. They're getting driven out of the region in verse 50. How do they respond? They don't play the victim. They're not owning the title of persecution. It's been, um, Luke describes it as persecution. They're not playing the victim. They're just willing to move on and share God's life from death story to the next place at at Iconium. They and the other disciples in verse 52 are able to rejoice in the spirit. They're so confident in their place in God's story. They're so confident in the work of Jesus, his forgiveness, God's, God the Father's acceptance of them that they can just, it's just water off a duck's back. They're convinced of God's story. They're immersed in listening to God's story. What God says about them is the truest thing about them. And that's why we're at church, isn't it? So we can keep listening to the story of God's grace. God's grace in our mess. We keep coming to church so that his life from death story gets louder and louder and, that, and so that the religious story that we listen to way too often is muted. 
And as the story gets louder in our ears, in our mind, in our hearts, it'll become a story we're more willing to share. My story is life and death. That's who I am. The more we immerse ourselves uh, in God's story, the more we listen to God's story, the more we'll actually look like the community at the very start of chapter 13. Thanks, Rob, for reading the start of chapter 13. Where there's a multinational community centred on the story of God, willing to go where the story of forgiveness and freedom needs to be heard. We'll start telling that story together as a church, as DPC, as we keep listening to God's story. So I'll stop there and I'll pray. Uh, I'll invite the music team up and we can sing, but yeah, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you that uh, you show us abundant mercy, bringing us from death to life. I pray that this would be the story we listen to more and more. Amen.